all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy, where the doctor's always in. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Hey, thanks for joining us this morning on this beautiful early fall day, late summer. We're going to be talking about the health issues that affect you most today because we rely on you to call in. And we want you to call in today with any kind of question you have about your own health or the health of someone near and dear to you. You can reach us this morning live by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio. Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. This is Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. You've reached Southern Remedy, and uh, we are glad that you have tuned in to us this morning on your radio. And this is a program for those of you who have not listened to us before, where we try to answer your health questions. We really don't have uh, topic-driven um, uh, programming from uh, at least on Wednesdays on Southern Remedy because we want to give you a chance to call in with whatever is ailing you. So that might be questions about medications, questions about symptoms that you're having. Maybe it was a diagnosis that you didn't quite understand or maybe need some more information on, or maybe you just need a direction to go in. What's that next step with what you're dealing with? Uh, all ages are welcome, um, uh, based on uh, sort of my background and training, which is in MedPeds, so that's internal medicine and pediatrics. So anything from birth all the way up to the, uh, I guess we could say, 100-plus uh, range. We have some patients in that uh, age range. Uh, but we want you to call in this morning. And one thing we've noticed on Southern Remedy is that a lot of people, I think, are a little bit gun-shy to go ahead and dial that number to call in. And that number is one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So what we usually experience on Southern Remedy on Wednesdays is that a lot of people try to call in in the latter half of the hour. Uh, and because of that, unfortunately, we're not always able to accommodate everybody. So we want to give everybody an opportunity to call in who has a question. But I'm encouraging you, if you've already got a question, go ahead and give us a call right now. It's a lot easier to get in in the first part of the hour than it is in the latter half of the hour. So call us right now. We are live and we're going to do our best to answer your concerns or questions that you have. <coughs> Uh, if you're not able to call in and maybe, uh, you know, it's not when we're live on the air, you might want to uh, send us an email. We do respond to those emails, try to do it as quickly as possible. But we also, um, from time to time, will have a program that's dedicated just to emails because there are some good ones out there, just like we have good uh, calls uh, over the telephone, we have good emails about different things that we want to share those with our listening audience. So if you want to email us, the email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. A couple of things in the news. Uh, last week, I believe, I mentioned, uh, it was drive time, but I did mention about the rise of obesity-related cancers and how cancer now 
in most developed countries, the U.S. being one of them, uh, these are uh, more affluent countries in the world, um, cancers have really edged out cardiovascular disease as the leading cause of death. And most of that um, can be attributed to obesity and lack of exercise and what we eat. Um, In fact, there's about... Uh, we know there's about th- at least 13 different types of cancers that have a significant uh, increased risk if you already have obesity. And one of the disturbing trends in the last 17 years, uh, particularly those in uh, the ages of 15 to 64 years of age, is an increase in new cancer diagnoses. Now, that's pretty young if you think about it. I will turn 50 next year, and um, that's sort of disturbing about, you know, cancer, particularly obesity-related cancers. So most of that shift to earlier ages uh, is due to the rise in obesity, particularly in some racial and ethnic um, minorities. Uh, African Americans tend to have a little bit higher. Hispanic women, uh, they those two groups have some of the highest um, obesity-related increase in cancer. And this is pretty big databases. They basically mined the database uh, for cancer. There's a national database for all kinds of different cancers and looked at what are the trends, what do we need to... Uh, this helps scientists to sort of focus on different things and so that we can focus our resources a little bit more. But unfortunately... Um, a lot of the increase and rise in new diagnosis of cancer in younger individuals can be uh, related to obesity. And in a lot of studies, it's up to 40% of those cancers uh, diagnosed uh, can be linked back to, to obesity. That's a lot. So what can you do to uh, decrease that? Well, we can start eating healthier and uh, particularly the Calories that we consume is a big, um, big focus, but also the types of foods that we eat. We need to be eating a rich variety of foods. You may have heard Dr. Rick in the past talk about a healthy plate, and a part of that healthy plate is lots of color on that plate. So lots of greens and reds and yellows and oranges, uh, as colorful as you can think of it, with particularly with vegetables and with fruits. Uh, five servings a day at least. That's a lot. That's pretty challenging when you think about it. And limiting our fast food intake, which is probably one of the easiest things to do, is to go down the street. Uh, if you're on the run, I've got a 10th grader that you know pick up from time to time from football after work, and, uh, hey, he's hungry. It's easy to go by those places. I get it. Uh, it's a little bit more challenging to plan all that out, but certainly – Long term, we're probably a lot better off if we can find a way to do that. Certainly people that uh, we've had a lot of people on Southern Remedy call in and say, you know what, I've, I've been pretty successful in doing that uh, for a long time. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. This is Southern Remedy. You can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to our first caller. It's Paul in Ocean Springs. Good morning, Paul. Oh, are you there, Paul? Hey, good, hey, yeah, good morning. All right. Thank you for calling. Yeah. So um, the question is, what can I do to have less uh, gastrointestinal issues when I'm traveling? So, like, when I, I've gone to Denver a few times. I'm going to Santa Fe this weekend. And I've noticed that every time I fly to a place that's a uh, higher elevation, especially those places, than sea level, which is what I'm used to, where I was, where I was born. I have, uh, you know, it's, it's discomfort. Like, nothing I eat really settles well. It's, you know, I'm just really uncomfortable a lot of the trip, and I'm really trying to avoid that. I don't know if I should go with an empty stomach or, you know, eat before I get on the flight. I'm just not really sure what to do there. Yeah, there's a lot of things that can be causing that. So there is, it's it's not well known, but there is at least some uh, literature on changes in elevation, and they tend to be more short-term changes like you're describing. Certainly if you're going to Denver, everybody knows it's mile high. Uh, we're basically in Mississippi, we're pretty low, you know, a couple hundred feet, maybe a thousand up in the northeast portion of the state. But um, that's a big change when you think about it, going up, you know, three, 4,000 feet. 
Airplanes are pressurized at about 8,000 feet. Uh, most people think that, you know, well, that's pressurized. It should be sea level. It's not. It's about 8,000 feet. That's why your ears pop even when it's in a pressurized cabin. So there is this associated phenomenon of having gastrointestinal symptoms like bloating, uh, diarrhea. Uh, some people even have constipation. Uh, they tend to be exacerbated by eating certain things. So one thing you can do if you're going to have to travel, I mean, there's nothing you can do about traveling to change those variables, but a lot of it has to do with what you eat. Um, Because we have a lot of uh, enzymes that help break down different food substances, and we have a lot of bacteria, bacteria in our gut that do the same thing, if you eat a lot of foods that you know are going to cause bloating. And these are different from every, you know, from in, each in differing individual. A lot of people have problems with excess coffee. Uh, a lot of people have problems with excess carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are always one because when you break those down, when bacteria break those down, one of the byproducts is gas. And one of the byproducts is all those sugars you take in, they tend to take water with them. Uh, and that leads to diarrhea. So, Think about it, not necessarily, okay, I'm going on a trip tomorrow. I'm going to start eating good when I'm on the plane. Think about it about a day before. Uh, I would hydrate uh, a good bit bef- the day before with just water. You don't need anything you know, fancy uh, beforehand. And then try to eat a meal that you know, uh, Paul, you probably can predict, okay, if I eat these certain things, I may have more problems. Uh, things that can give you more gas, don't eat that. Eat sort of more bland meals. If you want to get technical about it, things that have a lower glycemic index that have plenty of fiber day or two days beforehand. And then while you're there, the same thing. But that's what I would tell you to do um, and uh, see if that changes things, but you really can't do anything about the other effects of going to altitude. Is it mostly diarrhea, Paul? I hate to get that technical with you. It can be. Yeah. Yeah, and and there, there's really there's a lot of the studies are looking at you know what happens at altitude, so how your body digests fat sometimes or absorbs it. If you don't absorb it, it goes through and it's like really bad, greasy, nasty diarrhea. So, um, yeah. but I would I, low fat diet, lower carbs, but maybe complex carbohydrate carbs. That's probably the, one of the better things. Gotcha. I'll take that advice. I appreciate it. All right. Safe travels to you, Paul. Thanks for calling in. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. Uh, We're going to take a short break, but you can call in when we come back. We're going to go to Buddy. Thanks for calling in early. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We'll be right back after this. Podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1 877 MPB Ring. That's 1 877 672 7464, or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, and I already got some great questions on the way. You can call in with your question by dialing 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to Buddy from Picayune. Good morning, Buddy. Good morning, sir. Um, I have a question concerning when they give out information for health risk uh, based on ethnicity like Hispanic and African-American and such. 
Native American is never mentioned. I have a strong Native American heritage, both Blackfoot and Choctaw. And how do you find out that information? Yeah, it's out there. Um, one of the, and it just depends on the different studies. Uh, they're not, and you're right. It's an underrepresented minority in most medical studies. However, there are some sort of pockets. Uh, I remember early in my training, uh, one of the things we looked at is uh, the Pima Indians uh, in northwestern in the northwestern United States, who have a much much higher uh, incidence uh, and prevalence of uh, of diabetes and kidney disease. Um, but you're right. There are some special things about uh, American Indian and Alaska Natives that are a little bit different. They have a different genetics and background, and um, that predisposes them to certain things. One place you can look, if you go to, and this is one of my favorites, if you want like demographic information and sort of what the data is and links to other places, if you go to hhs.gov, G-O-V, so that's the, the uh, Department of Health and Human Services, they have like a, a, a minority health um, um, page uh, site that tracks a lot of that. So they'll track uh, Hispanics, they'll track African Americans, but also American Indian and Native Alaskans are, are a subgroup. And uh, and you can do that geographically on that site. It's sort of neat to sort of look through and see about all the different statistics. One good thing about that website is that it's not just about what they're at risk for, like diseases. Like we know as a group, uh, Native Americans are at a much higher risk of some of the things that we all deal with, like heart disease, stroke, uh, cardiovascular disease. Mental health issues tend to be a little bit higher in those groups. Uh, Tuberculosis is one that pops up, so it's about four or five times higher in Native Americans but that website will be a great launching point where you can sort of dive in and know more. And, you know, it's interesting, like it's uh, we have so particularly in the South, there's so much um, that we don't know about our own heritage and uh, and the different uh, backgrounds that we come from. And uh, certainly Native Americans, Choctaw, Chickasaw, uh, other others that are around in the Mississippi area. That, uh, you know, if, you, if you've been in Mississippi long enough, we probably have at least a little bit of that genetics, African-American. Even if you're white, you may have some African-American genetics in your, uh, in your heritage, in your own family. So it's, it's all sort of mixed in, but uh, we do need more uh, information in these subgroups to know how to better look for things. Um, and in my own practice, uh, you know, I, had a, I have a, had a few Choctaw Indians as patients, and uh, certainly I'm a little bit more, I try to be a little bit more careful in looking for heart disease and tease those questions out and some some of the other higher-risk things that they, they're at risk for. Oh, okay. HHS.gov. That's it. And just type in Native American or some kind of search term within that website, and you'll find a lot of information. I know I have a, a lot of I'm a Heinz 57, basically. <laughs> Aren't we all? The great melting pot. <laughs> Is there a, a good genetic site to go to? I mean, you know, like the ancestries and stuff. Yeah. Is there any one of those that's any good? You know, I haven't researched them a whole lot. I, my sister did this. So she did one of the genetic testing uh, sites that sort of just gives you an overall, you know, you can pay the basic fee, mm-hmm. which is not super cheap. I mean, it's several hundred dollars for most of them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can get where you're from, different countries that you're from and sort of the percentages genetically of that. Uh, there are f- uh, much, much more expensive tests that are, you know, there's a whole new science of genomics. Well, it's not new. It's been out for some time now. And we're getting to the point for some things that we can test the genomics of different diseases and in different people and know that some drugs might work better in the treatment of those individuals. Yeah, I've heard about that. Um, so that but that's more of after diagnosis rather than prevention. Uh, Prevention's much mu- more muddier water, so to speak, with genetics. And you can't... Even if you're predisposed to something, I remember I was on a registry when I was a med student for bone marrow transplant. So I was said, yeah, I want to you know donate if if I can if I'm a match for somebody. And they give you they give you the option of finding out all these different things that come back. 
And I made the mistake as a medical student. Medical students always diagnose things in themselves and their buddies that they never have. Oh, well, I'm a 40-year nurse. So You're the same way. You're the word. same yeah. way, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we know way too much for our own good. So. Yeah, so I'm I, married to a nurse. <laughs> well, you got a double dose of it then. So, uh, so yeah, so you can, uh, you know, if you search for things, you can find that you're at risk for something. I, I pulled up something. I'm like, well, my goodness, am I going to have a seronegative uh, spondyloarthropathy during my, you know, say yeah, at some I point? Just because you're at risk with the genetics doesn't mean you're going to get the right. disease. So yeah. My no. mother was a hypochondriac. I had to keep all medical books out of her house. <laughs> <laughs> have the disease of the week. Yeah. Now we have the internet. <laughs> uh, well, thank God she never worked it. <laughs> there you go. So, buddy, I, I would... I would... would I find out a, about a genetic site kind of thing? I mean, I've thought about the ones, the standard ones you see, but yeah. I don't know how good they are, and you get mixed reviews. I mean, is there a specific type of doctor I would talk to? Yeah, we have geneticists in the state. We don't have a whole lot of them. I know... I don't know outside of UMC... You know who we have, but um, you could call the main UMC number. I don't have the Office of Genetics, uh, and uh, but they can give you probably a little bit of you know if you just say, "Hey, I need a geneticist to talk right. to," they can point you in the right direction. Yeah. All right. Well, that sounds good. That'd give me a place to look because you get such mixed reviews on the the commercial stuff that you see advertised. Yeah, and the accuracy of some of the things they I mean, I think if you're looking at, you know, where am I from, that's pretty easy uh data, mm-hmm. but um and when you get down to like 1 or 2% of being, you know, usually there's like a straggler country like Portugal uh or yeah, there's I'm just, always somebody was hiding in the woodshed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you never know. I mean, that's there's a lot of, particularly in Europe. There's there was so much overlap with people migrating within mm-hmm. the European mainland continent and well, even right, into yeah. into the you know British Isles uh, it's sort of hard uh, and particularly around the Mediterranean all that's so fluid over time and you're talking about you know genetic mixing over thousands of years in that area right. so it's it's a little hard to tease well, that out listening to oral history from grandparents and this kind of stuff over the years and what little bit I do know for sure, I apparently have a very strong Choctaw heritage on my mother's side and a fairly strong Blackfoot Indian on my father's side. Oh, okay. Huh. So that's why I was, and I guess the two would be combined together just as Native American period. I don't, yeah, there, I don't there are differences. Uh, there are differences within Native Americans. There's not a whole lot of, to my knowledge, there's not a whole lot of research looking at, you know, diving down deep into that. The mm-hmm. biggest group that has, that certainly has big differences in their genetics and in their risk factors are Native Americans. I mean, I'm sorry, Native Alaskan. Native, Native Alaskan. Native Alaskan. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, they're a whole different, I've been to Alaska. They're a whole yep. different group. Yep. <laughs> All right, buddy. All well, right. Well, that is excellent. I have, I thank you very much for your information. I sure. love your show. I listen to you every week. Well, thank you, buddy. And I'd get threatened to call in more often than I should because of <laughs> you'll name a symptom, and it's like, oh, my God. Do it. Do it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, y- y'all got me to go get my first colonoscopy, and they found a stage zero tumor. So oh, that's great. I thank you all very much. You're welcome. I'm glad you did that. It's uh, great to hear and, and good news for other people out there who may be a little bit scared to have that test. No, tell them do it. There do we not go. not hesitate. You're asleep. You don't feel a thing. That's right. All right, buddy. Will you take care and uh, keep listening and call in when you have the inkling? All right, sir. Y'all have a great day. All right, you too. This is uh, Southern Remedy, Dr. Jimmy with you, and talking about all kinds of different things. Got plenty of time for your questions or comments. You can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Colonoscopies are very important. I have vividly one of my patients who we discussed it uh, at his yearly visit. Um, I was doing my job, so I tell people, and they're like, I don't ever want to have this test. And if it's something I think they need, I say, hey, I'm going to bring it up. That's my job, and we're going to discuss the risk and benefits of it. And those may change from time to time as we have new data. Try to keep up with that as best as possible. Uh, but my job is to, you know, encourage you to do those things that I think are going to 
uh, improve your health in one way or another. One gentleman in particular, he was he was avoiding it and avoiding it. It's like, you know, just putting it off one more year, one more year. Finally, he he went ahead and did it. And a similar study, a uh, similar story to Buddy, uh, they found an early cancerous lesion and were able to get that out uh, with, uh, you know, very little intervention. And thankfully, he's doing fine. And I uh, came back to clinic after all that happened and said, thank you, thank you, thank you for, for really encouraging me to do that because it saved my life. So that's one of those screening techniques that are very good. We know colonoscopies are an excellent way to screen uh, for cancer uh, of the colon and rectum, uh, and uh, you should get it. So if you're over 50, talk to your physician about that. Certainly if you have a strong family history, they they may even want to do it earlier. Usually we target about 10 years younger than the person who was diagnosed. So if it's your mother or father were diagnosed at 50, that means you get the colonoscopy at 40. So talk to your physician about that and bring it up. Uh, it's always good to have patients bring that up and to sort of keep a calendar of events. All right, let's go to Candice in Oxford. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Um, I just had a really quick um, anecdote about the or suggestion about the genetic testing. Uh-huh. Uh, my husband and I did that um, about five years ago now um, when we wanted to start having kids um, since we're both white, wanted to make sure um, that we didn't have cystic fibrosis and that type of thing. Um, and we actually used a, and I'm a, I'm a pharmacist, so I've got a strong medical background and all of that. And we actually use 23andMe, and it's available, mm-hmm. you know, at Walgreens and CVS and that type of thing. It was extremely easy. It still updates um, whenever new genetic tests come out. Um, and it gives some big ones, like your, in, uh, like your increased risk for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, um, cystic fibrosis. And it also has just a whole list of not just your ancestry, but also... Um, an updated list of your increased risk for different things. And it'll, it actually gives the specific genes that you have, and it will tell you if you've got a much higher risk, a slightly higher risk. It's very easy to use. Um, and we also ended up doing one of the very, very expensive testing um, later on. Mm-hmm. But it was really easy, and it's, it's something that's continuously updated based on that when we compared it to our really expensive like had to go to insurance test right right um, it it was pretty close um yeah that might be something that he want he might the gentleman the previous gentleman might want to consider yeah and it was fairly inexpensive yeah yeah fda approved i've heard about that one uh as one of the choices if you don't mind saying you know how much uh, in the cost range is to share with everybody if it was that yeah so um we actually got into it about two weeks before it, it was pulled for the FDA approval and then it came back with FDA approval. Right. Still, it has been CLIA approved since the beginning. When we did it, I think it was about $100. Yeah, that's probably that's now, what I was thinking. Yeah, now I think you – I'm not – we did it directly from the company. Yeah. Um, or just ordered it from the website. You can still do that. It has, like I said, the ancestry and the genetic component, um, genetic health components. It's just the one-time fee that right. I, I believe so. So it continuously updates, and you don't have to pay any more into it. Yeah. So anytime anything new comes up and you give them access you know, to your genetics to continuously run the um, for, for the test, new testing. Right? Uh-huh. And I, I want to say that, like I said, you can buy it in – you know, Walgreens and that type of thing. And then, of course, you would pay the lab fee. I don't know how much it's gone up or anything, but I, I don't think it's any more than $200. Yeah, usually which, on a test yeah. like that, I think you're, you know, you're pretty much doubling the cost when you, it gets uh, the CLIA yeah. approval. But yeah, that that's an excellent resource for people who want to do that. And Candace, uh, you know, your background certainly helps you understand those tests more. I'm, I want to counsel people, though, uh, if you're not, again, I think, Candace, you and I understand that it's not 100%. It tells you your risk. Risk is different than predicting that you will have it. So you can have a fairly strong risk of having different things, but it's not 100%. 
Uh, and uh, you should know that beforehand. One good thing about a lot of these companies now is they tell you that, you know, over and over again. Okay, this is a it shows you risk. It's not predictive of if you are going to have it or not 100%. Um, and that's important to know because uh, once you know something like that, it can be devastating to people. Uh, if you, you know, there's a lot of uh, probably the prototypical one that we learned in our genetics training in medical school was Lou Gehrig's disease, which usually does not, uh, you know, come, uh, you don't develop symptoms to your 30s or 40s uh, or sometimes late 20s. And a lot of times that's after you've already had kids. Genetic testing can allow you to know that so that you can make decisions, informed decisions on whether or not to have kids. However, a lot of people just say, you know, I don't want to know. I don't want to live my life in the fear of knowing that. Some people say, yeah, I want to know everything that I could possibly know. Um, these are great tools. We are, you know, even though a lot of people, I know we've, we've sort of touched on this subject before on Southern Remedy, and some people have called in and said, we are way advanced in our knowledge. I think we're, we're still in the infancy of this. Um, but, yeah, so, and Candace mentioned, too, if, if you test positive for something, you always need to, if, you're, if it's something, particularly something that's going to have a devastating effect, I would recommend at that point to talk to somebody else. A geneticist is a great resource. They have a team that can explain your risks and maybe uh, give you some options about further testing. Candace is right. It's expensive when you go that second step uh, down that right route. And we're talking thousands of dollars, pre-approval from insurance. Sometimes insurance won't even cover it. Um, these initial tests are great to sort of give you an overall look. Now, let's say you're increased risk for something that is easily preventable. That's great. Uh, I think that's great to do that. A little bit of oomph behind, uh, you know, in the motivation of doing uh, what you need to do to change some things. Uh, and certainly in child, you know, planning, we've got a lot of other tools that are available to do that. We do screen genetic tests for uh, in newborns. Uh, to pick up on these things. Almost every state uh, screens for the most common causes of cystic fibrosis, some uh, inborn errors of metabolism, genetic abnormalities, congenital uh, hypothyroidism, lots of other things. So the, the numbers keep increasing there. But in the parents, it's always sort of nice to know that beforehand. But Candace, thanks for sharing that. That gives us some options for, uh, for our listeners to consider. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we've got plenty of time for your questions or comments. Might throw in a couple of things from the news if we have time. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this. Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464, or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you on this beautiful Wednesday morning. Always get some chills in thinking about this. September 11th has a uh, certainly a time that we can reflect. I remember I was uh, chief resident back in 2001, and I uh, got a text this morning from one of my fellow chief residents uh, that uh, we went through that and had to think about some contingency plans about how we were going to manage our residency, our residents in the hospital and our beds in the hospital. At that point, nobody really knew if it was going to be a larger attack on the United States, uh, where that would be, what we would be 
uh, needing to do. But um, certainly I remember my friends, my family, uh, the things that uh, meant the the most to me during those times. And uh, uh, I will never forget that. I know a lot of people won't either. Uh, Always something to remember um, uh, that day. Uh, in New York, actually, we had just flown. Uh, we had a meeting in Connecticut the the uh, week before and flew by New York. And I remember the weekend prior to September 11th, watching as the plane flew by outside the the uh, right uh, side window at uh, seeing those twin towers there in New York. And uh, that's the last time. And uh, certainly sad. And uh, it was one of the better things is to see how the nation pulled together in that crisis. Um, but uh, certainly a, a devastating tragedy uh, at all three sites uh, that were affected. So I do want to mention that today. We're going to go to Tony and Gaucher. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, sir. Uh, can you hear me okay? Sure, go ahead. Awesome. Okay. Um, actually, I have a couple of questions. Um, one is, what do you think of a stool sample as opposed to the colonoscopy? How, how, uh, how accurate is a stool sample? So you're probably talking about, there's a couple of, when you say stool sample, there's a couple of different tests that deal with that. One test for, um, for blood, okay? So it's basically okay. testing for blood in the stool, microscopic amounts of blood that you can't okay. see. Uh, and there's a couple of different ways to do that. Um, so uh, there is a much more accurate way to do it with blood. The other one is a DNA test. So it's looking for DNA changes that are common to uh, to uh, colon cancer. And oh. so uh, a lot of the companies, uh, one of them is Coligard is probably the, that's the, the main test uh-huh. that looks at that DNA testing. And sure. you give, you give them a sample, you actually, you can give the kit to the, to the, uh, to your patient and they can take it home. They can right. send it straight to the company. They give the physician the result. And Coligard is nice that it tests for both blood and DNA. Now, it doesn't okay. take, they can't do, if, you know, if it's positive, you still have to have the colonoscopy, and it okay. shouldn't necessarily take the place of a colonoscopy, but if you have, the way I approach it is if I have a patient who has some really big concerns about colonoscopy, or right. if colonoscopy is going to be, uh, if they're going to be a little bit higher risk, maybe they're on anticoagulation and it'd be risky to take them off of that for the procedure or other thing, you know, they don't need to be sedated at all. Um, that's the patient that, or if they even have, you know, really big concerns and want to do that first, I think that's fine. Sure. Um, it doesn't give you a, the colonoscopy is good cause you can directly see things, uh, yeah. on the colon and then you can do something about it. So if you see polyps or early, uh, cancerous right. lesions, you can take the whole thing hopefully, or you can take a biopsy and you can know what it is. But, sure. um, yeah, ask your doctor about Coligard as an alternative and whether or not you would be a candidate for that. But it is, it's not taking the place of a colonoscopy, but if you, right. you know, in that sort of lower risk group or, uh, you know, for, for colon cancer, or if you're, um, you know, you're worried about the getting the colonoscopy and <laughs> prep and everything. and. Yeah. The procedure is usually fine. It's the prep that people have the most concern about and difficulty right. with. It has gotten better over the years, but um, I, well, you know, would, a, um, would would the stool sample test would it catch you know like the early stages of colon cancer in time, or uh, would it be you know, too late? In other words, if you've got full blown tumors or something in there, but you know even small. Yeah. Uh, is it going to catch it in time? Currently, it's recommended that, that you you want to do it periodically. You don't want to just do it once. Uh, oh, yeah. So once you read that, reach the age of 50, if you are going to do it, you know, most people are saying you need to be testing that maybe every three to five years. And that'll give the most of the time colon cancer, you know, that's a time period that you're okay. Even if you're getting a colonoscopy, the, the longest time period is 10 years. Um, between colonoscopies. And if you have a couple of polyps, it's probably going to be more like three to five years. And that's just, that's just because if you see that your polyps are, they're gross uh, of, of cells that are in reaction to something. And a lot of that has to do with our diet. We, our colon likes to have a really rich fiber plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you deprive it of that over time, and you have lots of things that are carcinogens. That's you know, if you think about our body, 
the the things that uh, the the places our body comes into contact with things from the external world. Those are the, the, the organ systems that tend to get more cancers, our skin, for example. So sunlight right. being the biggest damage there with UV radiation. But you, because you eat a lot of stuff, uh, and particularly what we love to eat in a Western society, you know, lots of yeah, sure. um, charred, wow. fat-laden things, um, that's a lot of things that our gut is exposed to over time. You do it enough, then you could right. develop a malignancy. So those little polyps are, are not necessarily all malignant, but they're sort of pre-malignant. Right. But yeah, back to your question, you, you need, you would need to do it periodically to get to hopefully catch that. And certainly it's not recommended if you already have blood in your stool, uh, or a change in stool caliber, you right. need to have a colonoscopy. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I am. Everything's fairly normal as far as I'm concerned. You know, as, as far as I know, I don't have anything that unusual. Um, so my second question is a bit more controversial. <laughs> and um, it concerns diet. Uh-huh. And a particular physician who's been promoting um, a diet. He's kind of all over the Internet. You might have heard of him, Dr. Stephen Gundry. Yep. And his book, The Plant Paradox. And his, his big uh, bugaboo villain are lectins. Yep. And, um, he's, you know, he basically says that, you know, lectins seem to be the root cause, the common denominator to a lot of uh, ailments, you know, that we have, a lot of the lifestyle diseases, et cetera. Um, you know, some people are, are less prone to, you know, being sensitive to them. But, you know, he basically makes the case that, you know, when all your tests come back negative and you're still sick, you know, uh, this may be the cause. He's, you know, he goes extensively into the research and his own experience. I'm just curious, what do you think of him, his book, you know, his uh, his findings, and lectins in general? Because a lot of people have read the book, and a lot of people are, you know, trying to follow his diet. Right. What is your take I, on that? You know, I don't have, I've sca- I haven't gone in depth on that. I am a le- little bit familiar with, with him and his, his uh, research. So right. basically, uh, you know, if you look at the data that supports pr- primary prevention of things like cardiovascular disease, um, cancer, uh, all those things, stroke, uh, heart attack. Um, right. a, the, the most evidence is in eating a diet that is rich in fruits and vegetables and right. low in animal-based fats. Um, uh, you know, oils that you use tend to be from, if they're from, um, from animal sources tend to be more of your cold water fishes and, uh, fishes yeah. that are much more oily. Uh, and then, or nuts, basically, or the plant-based portion. Right. That diet um, has been proven over and over and over again to work. Sure. What I, what we don't have is when you start to tease out individual components of that and apply it to either supplements or apply it to taking things out, that's where the outcomes don't really pan out. So... Um, I've always been a big advocate of eating the diet. Like, just eat fruits and vegetables. If you eat right. if you eat uh, meat, eat something that swims or flies. Um, you know those kinds of things. But uh, when you start to tease it out, I, there's not any evidence in that. And certainly, okay. if you say, you know, somebody says, "Well, this is 400 times uh, the dose of the antioxidants or the polyphenols that you could get in." And you can't get enough by eating fruits and vegetables. That's never been proven in a oh, randomized yeah. controlled trial. So, you. so you have yeah. to you have to be careful with that. It's just much easier, I think, and probably less expensive than a lot of these supplements and things that people are trying to sell. Uh, you know, that are yeah. quick fixes. There's not a, there's not a quick fix. There's not a miracle. You know, supplement. There's not a miracle diet other than that. Just eating yeah. that that you know mediterranean type diet you need the yeah you definitely need the whole package yeah you need all those micronutrients all the things that go into it right and you cannot synthesize it from a vitamin one thing that uh dr gundry you know i guess he really severely parts company with um is his um belief that complex carbs like brown rice and many other grains um are just full of lectins you know, which he says, you know, are really bad for us. They're immunosuppressant. They cause all kinds of, you know, problems. He says, no, eat white rice. <laughs> eat white pasta. Um, 
you want to avoid that. But I, I don't know as far as the research. Yeah, and a lot of that, you know, it yeah. sort of spills over into into the gluten controversy too. It and there's certainly right. there's a lot of people who have gluten sensitivity or gluten true allergy, and they don't need to eat gluten. Right. There's a study that yeah. just came out. It was a randomized controlled trial of giving gluten as a supplement to people who didn't have those disorders, and they had no change in GI side effects. I mean, they was the same in both groups. So, yeah, wow. there's some people that certainly do have that problem. But, again, I think if you make, you know, just just basic choices about your foods that make sense, don't try to go, you know, all I need to eat is, I don't know, almonds. That, you know, for all my foods, right. so you're going to have problems. Um, right. So so variation is certainly something that, and, hey, if you want to not eat white rice and eat something else, do it. But, I mean, don't sure. just do that and ignore oh, yeah. all the rest of the data that we have. So, oh, I, I totally agree. I, you know, I try to change my diet. I, I never eat the same thing, you know, twice, one yeah. day or the next. Yeah. I'm always, you know, switching it out. And as much, you know, as many vegetables and fresh fruits as I can. Yeah. So, you know, because I, I know that is like one of the best things you can put in your body. All right, Tony. Well, we're going to take a break. And uh, thank you for uh, that question and comments. That's certainly great information there. When we come back, we're going to go to Shirley, who's been patiently waiting. We'll be right back after this. podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. Got a little bit more time in the hour for your questions. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you didn't get a chance to call this hour, always uh, want to throw out there that you can reach us uh, actually from our website MPB online. You can uh, listen to previous programs. Maybe you came in on the tail end of things. Uh, we try to archive those, give us a little bit of time to put it up. But also, you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org, and we can answer your question. Try to do that directly, but uh, sometimes, as long as you tell us that it's okay, uh, we'll um, we'll share some of those um, with uh, the broader audience from time to time. All right, let's go to Shirley from Starkville, who's been patiently waiting. Thank you, Shirley. Hi, thank you. Thank you for your program. Uh, and this, uh, my question uh, does not have to do with a medical condition per se, uh, but I'm calling to see if you know a facility in the state that makes available a mobile mammography unit. Uh, we have an annual health fair, and uh, we used to have one, but that facility said for lack of funding they had to, you know, uh, curtail those services. Uh, so I'm wondering if you know in the Jackson area or anywhere else there might be a mobile mammography unit. Uh, and yeah, and I'm familiar with those. So usually there's two different two different people who own and operate those. So one would be hospitals or health systems that own hospitals. And the other would be a lot of them are screening in areas that, you know, if it's a large, uh, say, if you work for Nissan or, or Pascagoula Shipyards or somewhere like that, a lot of times they'll do something like that in conjunction with health screening. So, uh, and you said you're in the Jackson area? No, I, I'm actually uh, in northeast Mississippi. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but uh, since you're in Jackson, right? Got, yeah, yeah. So so I I know we do some things where we go up to the Delta, but in mammography, because it's 
pretty widely done. Uh, it's easier to do because it's basically a, you know, it's a type of X-ray. Most um, most hospitals and some clinics will certainly have that. So there's, uh, to my knowledge, there's not a big deficit in the state of sort of areas where we don't have access to that. Or do you live in a place that doesn't have access to just sort of the traditional well, mammography? Well, believe me, uh, there are women who do not have access, and that's why we have our church actually has an annual health fair. Oh, that's great. And we, yes, and uh, and I subsidize those ladies who don't have insurance. And, uh, and there is a great need for the mobile mammography units to actually come to uh, places like uh, churches, for instance, because some women, uh, you know, don't have transportation to go or they don't have insurance or they don't have their own position. So we make it available to the community. We have been in the past. Gotcha. Uh, until, yes, until this uh, hospital, uh, you know, uh, stopped their mobile mammography unit. Here's what I'm going to do, Shirley, because I don't have all the information I think that you are wanting or need. I'm going to contact a couple of people. I'm going to contact uh, the radiologists who are the ones who a lot of times are, are conducting this uh, and reading those films. And then I'm going to uh, contact uh, GYNs uh, both in that area and here centrally to see if we can't uh, give you some more resources on that. Uh, I would appreciate that greatly. Because there's, you're right. There's all kinds of of routine things uh, that help people. We mentioned colonoscopy that people don't have access to in our state, and that's one of the things we got to do better on. We've got to have be creative about doing it. So I do appreciate you bringing that up. But I'm, let me check on that and see if I can't push some resources your way. Uh, all righty. Uh, that's why we do it through our church. Uh, because we can uh, meet, you know, reach a great a number of, of folks who, um, like I said, ordinarily don't have their own physicians or do not have access to uh, go to hospitals where mammograms are given. Absolutely, Charlie. Thank you for calling, and uh, thank all our callings for uh, for calling this hour. This has been Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. You can join us next Wednesday at eleven for Southern Remedy. Stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio. Mm-hmm.